turn your Bibles this evening to 2 Corinthians, in the book of 2 Corinthians. We continue our look at 2 Corinthians. We'll look at verses 15 through 24 tonight. Uh, it will be our text. I hope that you do have your Bibles with you as we've been working our way through this uh, book and learning what the Lord would have us to learn. So much, so many good truths um, throughout 2 Corinthians, all the Bible, but 2 Corinthians, as we study it directly, then there's some things that we certainly need to know. I'd call your attention to verse number 15. Paul says, And in this confidence I was minded to come unto you before that you might have a second benefit, and to pass by you into Macedonia, and to come again out of Macedonia unto you, and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. When I was therefore was thus minded, did I use lightfulness, or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yea and yea and nay, nay, but as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay for the god excuse me for the son of god jesus christ who was preached among you by us even by me and silvanius and timotheus was not yea and nay but in him was yea for all the promises of god in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of god by us now he which established us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul, that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth, for not for that we might have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith you stand. Here in this passage, the Apostle Paul is addressing some accusations that have been leveled against him, and we'll speak a little bit about that in just a few moments. As, I, as we begin our time, I, I, we mentioned and we prayed for um, the family of Dr. Tom Farrell, and certainly we mourn and there's great sorrow in the loss of 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 uh, brother farrell um I, I think know of really few men in my lifetime i know that there'd be others that were before me could point to certain men that had impacts and knew that there was a great impact all over america but in my lifetime i think a few men other than um, and he is one, Brother Farrell had a, such a great ministry and the power of God was upon him and his ministry like none other. Uh, he preached literally all over America uh, in some 30 foreign countries over the past, uh, I guess, roughly 30 years, if not longer. More people possibly were saved under the ministry and preaching of Dr. Farrell than any evangelist I personally know or have even heard of. More people were saved. I know Brother Caleb Rector uh, did an internship uh, under Dr. Tom Farrell and his leadership and training of young men for the ministry. Uh, the last time Dr. Farrell was here was in 2017. 
Uh, we had had him scheduled. He would have been on the schedule to be with us again in October. Uh, but he was there in 2017, and, and that was a wonderful time. I, I remember uh, that time, and at that particular meeting, uh, some of our church family that we all know very well, uh, Butch and Mary Lyles came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. What a blessing that was. I remember the evening, and uh, Butch had trusted Christ uh, beforehand, and he, he called me and he says, I, 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 I want to pray for my wife, that God would touch her. And so he came in on a, uh, I think it was a Tuesday evening, it may have been a Monday evening, and we knelt on this front pew right here, and, and we both prayed for Miss Mary. And she was in church that evening, and at the end of the, the service, during the invitation time, Mary came and walked this aisle and, and with tears in her eyes, accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. And what a great blessing. They have been to our church and continue to be. And, and so I, I mentioned that to say that the ministry was wonderful. Um, the last time I text Dr. Farrell, and occasionally I would drop him a text, or he may he might me on an occasion, and he always would finish his text with this phrase, press on for the king. Press on for the king, and that's what he would always say, and it just something that stuck with me. Uh, on Monday evening, the king that Tom Farrell preached, the one that he spoke of, the one that he was faithful to, he met that king face to face. And in heaven, there's rejoicing. Certainly there is. Uh, on earth, his voice will be missed. Our hearts sorrowful uh, with regards to it all. But the message marches on. The message marches on. And I appreciate Brother Andrew's prayer that God may raise up others. And uh, that the, the legacy and the, uh, the path to follow that Brother Farrell left would be picked up and carried on by others. And certainly, while we have opportunity, we must be doing that. So the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And even though a voice, a powerful voice for that gospel may no longer be with us, the message still is, and it still continues on until Jesus comes. So let's continue to pray for his wife, Regina, uh, the family during in these days to come. Uh, as I think about Brother Farrell, and I think the same thing could be said with regards to many in our church family, um, really there's nothing you could say or nothing that I would hear or no way you could convince me to change my love and appreciation uh, for him or for many others uh, that have been faithful and have proven themselves faithful throughout the years, had a faithful ministry. Uh, nothing could be said that would change the opinion of that for so many. But yet, there are enemies and there are those who would seek to destroy and malign and impugn uh, those things. But we know that, Brother Farrell, we know that many like him, he was the real deal. He was the real deal. His life and ministry uh, were, they bore out that he was genuine, that he was true. You know, when you look, when we look, take a look into our Bibles, and we read about the life and the ministry of God's people, and in here we come to 2 Corinthians, we read about the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul, and how 
He came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was struck down there on the road to Damascus, and, and the power of God, he was blinded, and, and the power of God rested upon him from that day forward, and he went on to be a, 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 that voice in that era, and, and really still not just in that era, but a voice in, even in today, because we read about him, we study his life, and we learn so much about him, but what a powerful Powerful voice for the gospel. Uh, there's one definite conclusion that we arrive at when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul. That he too was the real deal. That he was genuine. He was sold out for God. There was no guile. There was no deceit found in him at all. Nor in his ministry. Um, as many missionaries, many church members, many that we could even mention in, in our church uh, as members of Lakewood and folks that we know beyond, uh, the fruit bore out uh, their ministry. Their fruit bore out their lives and the way that God used them. Uh, the Apostle Paul's life bore fruit. It bore fruit. Uh, he was an apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, handpicked by God. Uh, he was chosen to be a, a missionary, chosen to go out and reach the Gentiles. Although a Jew, he was chosen by God, handpicked. Um, God chose him on the road to Damascus. And he had had a life beforehand. He was a, 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 a Jew of the Jews. He, he was uh, a keeper of the law. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Um, and just very strict in his lifestyle, but, but wrong. And he persecuted the church, even to death, some, and held the coats of those who uh, stoned Stephen, uh, sat there and watched as Stephen was stoned. And I imagine many others, he would uh, bring accusation against them, draw them into court and have them jailed or uh, in many cases maybe even killed. And so he had a life prior to knowing Jesus Christ, but after he came to know Christ, after he recognized that the Jesus that he was persecuting was the Jesus, uh, the, he was the real deal, that he was real, that he was the Messiah, that he chose in, he, he threw in everything to follow the Lord, and he became an apostle for Christ. He was a soul winner, he was a church planner, he was a missionary, he was a gospel preacher. The Bible tells us with regards to the Apostle Paul that his boasting was not in himself. He didn't say, look at me, look what I've accomplished. Let me give you a list of, and, and by the way, my name is the Apostle Paul. Here's my resume and just take a note of all those things that I've done. He didn't do any of that. He did not boast in himself, but he boasted in Christ. And he always pointed to the things that had been accomplished. He said, it's not a work that's been done by me. But it's a work that's been done through me. And that person that's been working through me is Jesus Christ. So he always pointed to Christ. And he was able to point to the fruit of the ministry that, he, that was produced. The fruit of the ministry uh, that God brought through him. And even in that fruit, he said, this is of Christ. This is what Christ did for me. Nevertheless, I live, not I, but Christ liveth in me, he said in the book of Galatians. So he always pointed to Jesus Christ. When we come to the book of Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, he planted the church. 18 months there, he spent in Corinth planting this church. These believers who were there were fruit 
up to his account. They were fruit to his ministry. Uh, they were, these were people that he had personally won to the Lord. Um, look with me if you have your Bibles. Go with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, if you would, chapter 1. If you'll go with me to 2 Timothy. Let's look at a verse here. 2 Timothy chapter number 1, verses 2 and 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. Verses, excuse me, 3 and 4. Let's read 3 and 4. I thank God whom I serve with my, uh, excuse me, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience. We spent a good bit of time last couple weeks noting this matter of a conscience. But he served God with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. It says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and uh, thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in thee also. So he always pointed to Jesus Christ, and he, and he pointed to the fruit. Here he's speaking to Timothy. He pointed to the fruit that was wrought through his ministry, and he always said it was a work of God that God had done through him. Paul was not cheering for himself, even in whether it was the church or whether it was those who were following him. He was not cheering for himself. He was cheering for those who had been one and were faithful to Christ. He was cheering for those who had been one to Christ and those who were faithful to Christ. He was cheering them on. They were the fruit to his account and really they were the best evidences of the authenticity of his ministry. Paul's integrity and character were impeccable. Nothing could be brought Against him, the fruit of his ministry bore that out. The fruit of his ministry bore those things out. Um, But you can be sure when every time God's working, every time God is at work, we can be sure that the devil's also working as well. And I do not dare say that, that maybe even the things that we see going on around us these days and even in our church and the illnesses, the things that are going on. Uh, every time that the Lord works, the devil is going to work also. And as we know from the scriptures, and it's true, God never sleeps nor slumbers. But understand, nor does the devil. Uh, as a matter of fact, he's working overtime. He, he understands the Bible. He understands that the second coming of Christ, the promised return of Christ is coming soon. He's understands and knows the times. He knows this book uh, much better than we do. He knows his time is short. So he's working double time. He's working overtime. And he's, the Bible says he's walking to and fro throughout the whole earth seeking whom he may devour. And this is what's taking place in Second Corinthians. And no doubt it's taking place today. Often the greatest target of the devil is on the backs of those who are serving the Lord on the backs of those who are doing the uh, something for the Lord, on the backs of those who are doing the work of the Lord, no matter if it's a pastor, no matter if it's a missionary, and if it's a, a song leader, if it's a choir, if you're singing in the choir, teaching a Sunday school class. Um, 
If you're cleaning the church building, anything that you're doing, if you're giving to missions, anything that you're doing to help the furtherance of the gospel, then no doubt the devil is walking to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. Now, he can't take our souls from us, but he certainly can seek to destroy our testimony. He certainly can seek to discourage us, to, to, to uh, cause us to quit. Uh, to cause us to step aside and say it's no use, to be get, become weary and well-doing. So the devil does these things. He's at work as well, and, and he is uh, attacking. Uh, he's attacking. Paul was being attacked here out of this church, the church that he planted. Uh, he had a great love for these people, and he was being attacked. Uh, his character, his integrity, his life, and his ministry... Uh, were being impugned um, by those false teachers who had come into the church since he had been gone. And these people now at Corinth are giving ear to this. They're starting to listen. They're starting to be persuaded even possibly. And so they're calling into question the life, the ministry of the Apostle Paul. They are, no doubt, the enemies of the truth. These false teachers are enemies of the truth. And there are enemies of the truth all around us today. Uh, enemies that speak against the word of God. Jude is very clear with regards to these enemies. If you go with me to uh, the book of Jude, the little book of Jude, right before Revelation, you'll see some verses that Jude mentions here with regards to these false teachers, these people that have crept in unawares. He speaks of the enemies of the cross. If you look at verse number 3 of Jude, uh, Jude had an intention to write unto us with regards to the common salvation. Verse number 3, Beloved, when I give diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And I don't know if you've marked in your Bibles, but that word once, which was once delivered. It's not continuing be delivered. People today say, well, there's new revelation. We've come up with new things. There's new ways of doing things. There's a new Bible. There's a new doctrine at hand. No, it's not. It's been once delivered unto the saints. He says, you earnestly contend. For why? Because verse number four, for there are certain men crept in unawares, unassuming, seems like they're part, they crept in unawares, they just make their way in, who were before of old, uh, excuse me, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. He says, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verses 8 through 10. Notice what Jude continues to say. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, disputed uh, about the body of Moses, does not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee, but these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts, 
in those things, they corrupt themselves. Look at verses 16 through 19. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, not having the Spirit, having not the Spirit rather, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. I read that verse 19. Excuse me, back up and read verse 16. Uh, forgive me, and let's pick that up there. And these are murmurers. He's talking about those, those false teachers. They're murmurers. Look, he says they're complainers. They're walking about in their own lust, in their own mouth, speaking great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see these enemies have crept in unawares. They've crept in through the church at Corinth. So tonight as we come to our passage that we read out of 2 Corinthians, I want us to see, first of all, the trouble of an accusation. The trouble of an accusation. These false teachers, these false believers, excuse me, they weren't believers, they were false witnesses, They had come into the church, and now they're making an accusation against the Apostle Paul. Verses 15 and 16. And in in this confidence, I was minded, he says, to come unto you before, that ye might have a second benefit, and to pass by you into Macedonia, and to come again out of Macedonia unto you, and of you to be brought on my way towards Judea. Uh, The Apostle Paul had made an attempt, and he had said that he was going to come to Corinth, he had planned to make a visit, but he had not yet made that visit to them, and the attacks came from that direction. The attacks brought on the enemies of the truth were personally against Paul. They were against his character, his motives, and his doctrine. Again, Paul's first addressing uh, those attacks was his the way he addressed those attacks was to mention, as we noted a couple weeks ago, and even last week, about his conscience. His conscience was clear. He had done nothing wrong here, and so he mentions that. His conscience was clear. Uh, he had done no wrong there, but yet the attacks continued to go forward. These attacks were meant to slander his testimony. They were meant to slander his testimony. Now, Webster's has an interesting definition of slander. Listen to what Webster says. A slander is a false tale or report maliciously uttered intending to impugn the reputation of another by lessening him in the esteem of others. It's a tale or something said, maybe it's a gossip or something that's been said with the intention, maliciously uh, uttered with an intent to lessen uh, the testimony or the regard of one in the thinking or in the life of another. Now, the first a- attack brought against Paul took aim at his trustworthiness. These false teachers claimed that Paul was not good to his word. Here he's saying, I intended to come to you, but I have not come yet. So now they had come upon the scene and said, look, Paul's not trustworthy. Uh, you, you can't believe what he's saying. You can't. Trust him. His word is not good. They had made up a flimsy charge that said, look, Paul said that he was going to show up at the church. Um, and he's going to make a visit, but he hadn't come. And he don't have any intention of coming. 
what a flimsy excuse this is. What a flimsy accusation this is. But it's the beginning of uh, seeking to, to undermine his authority and his testimony. You know, when folks make up their minds to cause trouble, to stir up strife, or even uh, when folks decide to leave a church, uh, the most ridiculous reasons are often made up. When people decide they've just made up their mind, I- I'm going to go another way, I, I don't, I don't want to listen, I don't want to hear that, the most ridiculous reasons are oftentimes made up. And the more often uh, than not... Uh, one or more of those reasons for leaving or stirring up strife, one or more of those reasons comes in the way of an accusation against another, particularly within the body of Christ, an accusation against another. Somebody did something that they shouldn't have, or somebody didn't do something that they should have. So the accusation is made. The problem with these kinds of things is that that of causing disunity within the body of Christ. And that's an, it's a very serious thing, um, the causing of the disunity within the body when these kinds of things come. And things are often said about the one that supposedly has done the wrong, but instead of going to the one that's done the wrong, things are said to others. Not approaching the one that supposedly has done the wrong, but the things are said to others, not to the one that's supposedly done the, the wrong. Um, often the one being accused never even knows about it. In church circles, I've been in churches where and seen this happen, where the one that's being accused never knows about it. And when he does hear about it, it's second or third hand. Uh, it's usually a week or two or longer since it supposedly has happened. Maybe it's a year later. There's something comes out. Well, I didn't even know about that. Didn't know where that came from. Often an offense is preconceived. Uh, Offense is is preconceived. Something they thought was said that was not said or it was perceived in another way. Um, And when it's done that way, there's never given the opportunity to fix it. So what do we do? We just leave out. We leave the church. Um, an accusation's made, we just leave out, we don't tell the one that we have the problem with, but we just move on, and the one that supposedly that this issue is against never has the opportunity to fix it, never has the opportunity to address it. The confusion continues to go on, the disunity is these things are left to exist. The Bible gives us a clear prescription on how to deal with offenses when they come up in the church. Um, we're told how to deal with these from Matthew chapter number 18. If you go with me to Matthew chapter number 18, when the offenses come up within the church, we're told how to deal with some of these things. Um, Matthew chapter number 18, rather than leaving the church, rather than uh, speaking to others with regards to certain matters, but here we're told out of Matthew 18 verses 15 through 17, the Bible says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he will hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then make, take with thee two or three more, 
that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Now, well, I'm not going to touch on verses 16 and 17 because those are the next steps. But my simply my point this evening is verse number 15 is oftentimes never touched. It's never addressed. The one offended is to first to go and seek clarification. Go and seek clarification. If there's been a trespass, doesn't say what that trespass is. It could be a, a really a trespass. It could be a, a perceived thing. But the key here is to go, one-on-one to go and seek the clarification. Oftentimes, the issue is nothing more than a misunderstanding. That's all it is, nothing more than a misunderstanding on the behalf of one or other or could be a misunderstanding on behalf of both. Uh, One could say, well, I thought that you said this or I thought that you said this or you may find after talking it through, it's a misunderstanding on the part of both. But the issue is here, seeking clarification. When we seek clarification, it clears up the misunderstandings as well as the misinterpretations. Clears up the misunderstandings as well as the misinterpretations. What are the misinterpretations? Reading into something that's not there. Um, Making a big deal out of something that should not be made out of. Or just assuming or running and taking seed with something. and, and, And hearing in between or making up in between what was not said at all. Taking away from something that was really not said. So uh, the seeking of clarification clears up the misunderstanding. That's where it starts. And then the the misinterpretations and clear it up there. It could be that there was an offense. Certainly it could be that there was a trespass. And the other one, this individual was truly offended. It, It could be that it was an intentional thing. We're still here to go and seek to reconcile that. It might be a... A totally uh, unintentional thing. Maybe there was a, a, a trespass and it was totally unintentional. Um, but maybe we have in our mind, you know, I know that they, I know that they did that. I know that was intentional. But rather than going and seeking clarity about that, they, it could have been something unintentional. So the person you're approaching, they have no idea what you're even talking about. And certainly that happens. They have no idea. It might be that the one offended may have simply misunderstood um, what was said or the, the context or whatever the case may be. And, um, and the one that was offended may be believing something that was maybe not even actually true after all. But the key here is to go and seek that clarification. The offended person needs to seek by going and seeking that clarification often and also When the offended person goes to seek that clarification, I think it's also important that the offended person needs to evaluate their own motives. The offended person needs to evaluate their own motives as well. And I think even ask themselves the question, am I easily offended? Am I easily offended? Am I often offended by everybody? Do I always hear people saying things 
that I think is about me or I'm reading into things that I think they said about me. And so is that always my mind and the way I'm thinking? So the one that is to go, I think before you go, before we go, we're also to evaluate our own motives with regards to our going. The purpose of Matthew 18 is this. It's restoration and unity. That's the purpose of Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is not necessarily the purpose of laying blame or laying cause or, or, or gaining the upper hand. It's to seek restoration and unity in the church. So it's seek clarification. It's seeking restoration. That's the purpose of going. Uh, not to prove one wrong and the other right or not to make my point here, but to seek restoration. And then to extend forgiveness. Extend forgiveness. Look at Matthew 18, verses 21 through 22. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times. And Jesus saith unto him, I say not until, uh, unto these, until seven times, but until seventy times seven. So it's the matter of forgiveness. So Matthew 18 is dealing with clarification, is dealing with restoration and forgiveness. And that's the issue. Leaving the church, leaving the church uh, is not the answer. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not biblical. Uh, there are times when you leave a church, but it needs to be, it better be uh, for a biblical reason. There's doctrinal issues, something along those lines. Uh, then certainly those are reasons. But even so, uh, you're to go and, and seek to, to, to fix these things, seek to work through these things. Uh, sometimes you can. And again, maybe sometimes you can't. But those decisions, you have to come back and do it the Bible way. Leaving the church is a way of continuing an accusation. And that's not the answer. Only restoration is. Only the seeking of restoration. So Matthew 18 is rarely practiced, but sad to say Facebook is. Rarely practiced, but Facebook is. Things will show up on Facebook that just ought not be there. I, I'm, um, I understand that maybe there are times when that thing comes in, may come in handy with staying in contact with things, but so much of it is simply a way to air grievances and and. and and to air problems, and, and, and you see people going back and forth and back and forth on Facebook. And so it ought not be by way of fast, Facebook, should say Facebook, Facebook, it ought to be Matthew 18, uh, telling others, it ought not be the way of telling others, it ought not be the accusations are, it ought not be the misunderstandings that continue. So don't leave the church, come seek it and make it right. Follow Matthew 18, if you haven't followed these principles, then, then really you haven't done what the Bible prescribes for us to do. So we see the trouble of an accusation. Paul was, they were laying these accusations out against him. We see the truth of the messenger. Not only the, the issues, the trouble that comes by way of the accusations, these certainly came towards the Apostle Paul and they were trouble that was brought up in the church. But we see the truth of the messenger. Verse number 17. When I, therefore, was thus minded, did I use lightliness, lightness, or the things that I purpose? 
Do I purpose according to the flesh that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? He says, did I use lightness here? In other words, was I frivolous? The accusation was made and Paul comes back and he says, look, look at everything here. Was I being frivolous in the reasons why I didn't come? I was not being frivolous. I was not being fickle. He said, I did not purpose the things that happened here did not purpose according to the flesh. There were no carnal interests here. Uh, there was no seeking of self-gratification. His yes was yes and his no was no. There was no double-mindedness. There was no untruthfulness in Paul. So we see the truth of the messenger. And we have these people knew this. They go back to their history They had heard and known the teaching of the Apostle Paul. They had come to know Christ through the truth of the Apostle Paul. So there was no untruthfulness in him. We see the truth of the messenger. And now notice with me, not only we see the truth of the messenger, but notice the truth of the message. The truth of the message. Verse 18 and following. But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea or yes. Not fickle, not lighthearted, not carnally, but it was yes. It was truthful. Let me just simply say here, the gospel's true. The gospel is true. There are no mistakes of yes or no with God. There are no mistakes. There's no misunderstandings. There's no mixture of yes and no with God. Does God mean yes? Does God mean no? Maybe he means no here and he means yes here. Maybe he changed his mind here and he didn't hear. He did it this way one way and he did it that way another. Paul says there's nothing like that here. We see the truth of the message. God does not vacillate between going back and forth on the truth. He does not say one thing while planning and doing another. The truth of the gospel message is founded upon the character of God. Completely and fully upon the character of God. The message of the gospel is so linked with the character of God that to deny one is to deny the other. To deny who God is, to deny the book, this Bible, to deny the message, to deny the gospel is to deny God himself. The, the message and the, uh, the messenger, the, the gospel, they're so linked together. There's nothing ambiguous, unclear about the message of the gospel within the word of God. It does not give, the, the Bible, God does not give mixed signals about salvation or anything else. There's no ambiguity between about eternity. I, I just don't know. There's, there's nothing uh, yay or nay. It's, it's this. It is exactly what the Bible says. It does not vacillate back and forth. There's nothing left to chance with regards to forgiveness. With regards to forgiveness. God says that he will forgive. If we'll confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's no ambiguity in that. There's nothing uh, that's back and forth. There's nothing vacillating and and wondering how in the world we are to be saved. 
We know, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, salvation is not by works. The Bible doesn't teach it by works here and teach it by faith over here. There, that's not, it's not in the Word of God at all. So he says everything in God is yes or no. He's not yes and no. And that's the problem with so much of the false teaching and the false prophets and the things and around us in the world today. All the promises of the Old Testament, every single promise of the Old Testament are found to be yes in Christ. Every promise, every prophecy of the Old Testament is found to be yes in Christ. And all the promises with regards to eternity, with regards to Uh, provision, protection, with regards to anything in the life of the believer, with regards to all of these matters, salvation, whatever the issue is, all the promises found in the Bible with regards to eternity are yes in Christ. They're not yes and no. They're yes. They're fixed, in other words. So when we come to these passages and we see the Apostle Paul, we see the truth of the message. And as we also notice the truth of the message, notice, and I just mentioned we're out of time, but the, the triumph that's found in the truth. Because it's yes, because it's fixed, because it's in Christ, because it does not, uh, it's not back and forth, it's not something we can't know, but it is something we can be assured of. The triumph is found in the truth. The Bible says it's the truth that sets us free. The message is the foundation of the truth. The message is the foundation of the truth. So, as we conclude this evening, I just want to remind us that that there will be times to come when we will need to do things according to the Bible. There will be the accusations come. There will be those times come when those false teachers may come in and try to undermine the work of the ministry, try to undermine the truth of the gospel. And... And so what are we to do? We are to have that clear conscience before the Lord. We're to have that truthfulness within our own hearts and in our own lives. And we're also to have it's backed up and founded and, and has its foundation in the truth of the, the Word of God in the Bible. So as we press on, as we look at these passages, we'll see how the Apostle Paul, as he continues to lay forth these things. I want you to notice... Out of these last verses that he mentions, out of verse number 21, this is what the truth does. It establishes us. It establishes us. It sets us in a right position with God. Look at verse number 22. It seals us. Not only are we established, but we're sealed. We're kept. We're in the faith. And look, in verse number 24, by faith you stand. The truth will establish us. It will seal us and it will enable us to stand in these days. Let's bow our hearts in a word of prayer.